0: If you've got a Bible, First Peter chapter 1, please. First Peter chapter 1, if you need a Bible down the center aisle, you can grab one that's page 588 in those Bibles. We're going to read right from the beginning of the letter, from verse 1 to the end of verse 9 this morning. This is what God's Word says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice. Though, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the testedness, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, a living God, a truth-declaring God, and a loving God who loves us to a depth that we can't quite understand or imagine. And thank you that you speak to us this morning through this passage. We pray that your word would come alive through the work of your spirit and that you would massage the truth of your word down deep into each of our hearts to produce in us faith. Faith in you. Faith that will sustain us and keep us even as we live as elect exiles. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. I thought I would begin with a little bit of culture and give you a stanza, a verse from a poem written by a William Blake, who is an English poet, and he wrote these words. Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine, Runs a joy with silken twine. It is right it should be so, for man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we will safely go. Joy and woe are intertwined, are woven fine, William Blake tells us, and so does the Apostle Peter here in our passage. This morning, you don't have to live long to know firsthand that joy and woe are intertwined, that the road to heaven is marked with earthly sorrows. For instance, it was eight years ago yesterday on the 15th of September that my mom died of breast cancer and went to be with Jesus, and it was eight years ago tomorrow that my brother and his wife had one of my nieces, little Brooke. She was born without knowing her grandmother, and joy and woe were intertwined. Uh, And there's many of us in this room that know that experience of joy and woe being intertwined, that they almost seem to happen simultaneously. That seems to be the norm in the Christian life. And it's the norm in our passage this morning, as Peter tells us, that there are trials that grieve us, and yet he frames it in verse 6 and in verse 8 with these words, rejoice. Joy and woe are intertwined. Now how is it possible for a Christian to live with joy and woe, woven fine? A clothing for the soul divine. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of trials? How is it possible that we can both experience the joy and smile of the blessings of God and also cry at the sovereign goodness of God in the trials that we face. Well, Peter's going to help us. He's going to point it out. He's going to do it in two ways. So there's two things we're going to see this morning. He's going to tell us that trials are painful and then he's going to tell us that trials are purposeful. Trials are painful and trials are purposeful. And then he's going to give us a little bit of encouragement in the midst of our trials that we face. So let's begin with trials are painful. This is in verse 6, if you look with me again. In this you rejoice. That's a phrase that reaches back into verses 3 through 5 that we looked at last week, where God, in his great and glorious acts, has brought former pagan Gentiles like us into an inheritance into a glorious inheritance that is ours through the new birth that we experience in Jesus Christ and the new destiny that he gives us in Jesus Christ. Peter told them in verses 3 through 5 that God has caused them to be born again to a new and to a living hope. He's given them a new identity through the new birth where they have become part of God's family and in becoming part of his family with him as as our father, we receive the promise of his inheritance. A new destiny has been set before us, one that we didn't deserve, one that we couldn't earn, one that comes to us all through God's mercy. An inheritance of eternal life that we looked at was imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's permanent and it's perfect and it's kept for us in heaven, awaiting that day when Christ will return and he shall consummate all things and take us to be with him. But until that day, not only is God keeping the inheritance for us, he's keeping us for the inheritance We said last week, there's nothing that can ruin the inheritance for us and there's nothing that can keep us from it. Good news, he guards the treasure and he guards us so that one day we'll enjoy the treasure. It's all guaranteed, it's all secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is living hope that we share in just like these first readers. And so Peter turns their attention in verse 6 and he says, In these things, the new birth, the new destiny, the inheritance, the promise of eternal life, The resurrection, all one by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this, you should be rejoicing. And we should. So we sing all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. In this, we rejoice. But then if you notice right after that, there's like an abrupt change in the text. Look at it in verse six. He goes on to say, in this you rejoice, though now, though now. For a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. It's almost as if Peter anticipates the question from someone in the congregation. Like they would shoot up a hand as this is read out and say, hey, Peter, hang on a minute. Come on, we all know that life, the Christian life, it's not all cupcakes and rainbows. It's not all glory, is it? There's pain, isn't there? How are we to deal with the confusion of joy and woe, woven fine? How are we to deal with the gloomy current experience and the future glory? I just can't wrap my head around it. And so Peter begins to help them to understand. And he says, you have been grieved by various trials. Life as an elect exile is hard. Life is hard. We know that firsthand. These Christians were suffering for their faith, as we said in week one. They were maligned, they were mistreated because they believed and they proclaimed and they sought to live out the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were a people who were under suspicion because they were considered a threat to society, because they wouldn't worship the gods of the culture, because they wouldn't toe the party line, because they wouldn't fall in line with the cultural agenda. It's not too dissimilar to our world. And they faced trials, painful trials, trials that grieved them. They felt this in their families over lunch on a Sunday. They felt this in their neighborhoods. People closed their doors on them without talking to them. They felt this in their workplaces or in the market square. Their trials, their suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ was painful. And so Peter is a compassionate and wise and caring pastor. He comes and he, he acknowledges the reality of trials and the reality of pain and the reality of grief. And that's what he wants to do for us this morning. Whether it's trials in general, okay, whether it's trials in general, those things that we might be more readily familiar with, the trials of life, sickness, suffering, unexpected hardship, the death of a loved one, the the effects of someone else's sin towards us, these kind of things that we, we consider suffering and trial, whether it's those kind of things in general that we're all familiar with or whether it's trials and persecution in particular, like Peter is addressing here, he wants us to recognize that what we face in life is hard and trials are painful and we should never pretend otherwise. We should never pretend otherwise. And you know the reality of the, of the Christian life is there's no anesthetic that numbs the pain for the Christian. You know, if you go to the dentist, I hate going to the dentist. Okay? But when I go to the dentist and they've got to do something, you know, whether it's root canals or removing teeth or you know, whatever they have to do, they they normally don't they they, they say little scratch and then it'll all be okay. And they Stuff a needle into your gum and they inject an anesthetic. And then within a few moments, your mouth kind of swells up and numbs. And you start talking like, like you've got a plan in your mouth. And then the dentist does the work on your gums and you relax. And there's no pain. It's not like that in the Christian life, is it? There's no anesthetic. There's no pain killers. Being a Christian doesn't spare you from trials and suffering of whatever kind. And being a Christian does not stop us from feeling pain in the suffering and trials of any kind. Joy and woe are intermingled. We, mustn't, we must be careful, especially because it's so prevalent in, on Christian TV or in the books that you can buy that are considered bestsellers on Amazon. We must be careful not to believe the false lies of the prosperity gospel, okay, which tell us that, You know, if you're a Christian, you will never suffer. They tell us, if you're a Christian, you must never be sad. If you're a Christian, you must never grieve. If you're a Christian, you must always be fine and smiley. Don't believe the lies. Peter tells us life is hard. Our tears that we cry during trials do not deny our faith. In fact, they are tears that testify to the reality of living in a fallen world. And you will see on the face of a mature Christian, both tear-stained cheeks and laughter lines. That, that will be the experience. You look in the face of a mature Christian, you will see tear-stained cheeks and laughter lines. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hopefully this should come up on the screen. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away through various trials. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. for these light, momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are, are un- that are unseen are eternal. Trials are hard. We must remember that. We must never pretend otherwise. And we must weep with those who weep. And I just want to take a few moments to commend you as a church, to commend you as a church, because we have walked through some real difficult stuff with some people in our church, haven't we? So we've witnessed Pete and Liz and the girls and what they've had to go through. As we've stood with Tom and Annika, as they were unsure about what was going to happen with little Alfred. Thank you for being a church that weeps with those that weep. There have been others, I'm sure, that I could mention. And there will undoubtedly be others into the future. Let us continue, by the grace of God, to be a church that weeps with those who weep, that welcome and embrace And console and comfort one another in trials. Way before we get to the exhortation and the encouragement. It's good just to cry with those who cry. Mature Christians have tear-stained cheeks and laughter lines. Peter tells us in in chapter 4 that these are fiery trials. Fiery trials. Trials. Trials are painful. Not all of us will face the same things. Not all trials are the same. First Peter, these, this audience, were currently facing low-level opposition because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It would quickly escalate within a matter of months to dangerous persecution under Emperor Nero. It was uh, empire-wide. He, would, he was killing them, feeding them to lions, burning them. Um, and that's, the, that's true in some parts of our world, isn't it, today? Christians in various countries hunted down, brutally murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We might not face that, we might. We might just face the ridicule and the mocking and the the maligning and the marginalization because we won't affirm the culture's view of marriage and sex and gender. But we must stand firm. Too often our comfortable lives in our comfortable surroundings, I speak to myself in this, our comfortable life, my comfortable life in my comfortable surroundings with my comfortable friends it doesn't really, it's not the best preparation for suffering. But Peter wants us to be prepared. That's why he's writing this book. We need to be prepared. and We need to be prepared to respond to suffering, whatever we face. There's numerous ways that we could respond. Isn't there? We could respond with anger. Why is this happening to me? This is so unfair. What about my rights? Good about the rights of everybody else. What about my rights? We could respond in anger and complain. Where's God in all of this? I'm not sure that's the response Peter wants. We could respond with ignorance. We could just bury our heads in the sand, hope that the troubles pass and that life goes back to the good old days. But that isn't the case. We could try and respond in, well, maybe our response will be hopelessness. Well, yeah. This is just what 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 why what I, I don't know it's hopeless we could descend into despair give up trying to make a difference give up trying to be salt and light to the world give up praying for god to do a work and just resign ourselves to the inevitable that's not the response peter's after or we could just compromise well if you can't beat him why don't we just join him that'll save the suffering That'll save the persecution. None of these responses are what Peter wants. He tells us we face fiery trials, and these trials are painful, but they're also purposeful. Look with me at verse 7. This is our second point. Trials are purposeful. He says this, In this you rejoice, though, for a little while now. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that... See that right there in verse 7, so that there's the he's telling us there's a reason. Whenever when everybody says this happens so that there's cause and effect. This is happening so that something else will happen. And Peter is telling us here that trials happen so that, read on verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are purposeful. Those who are living with a living hope, those of us who are holding on to a living hope, can respond differently to trials and have a right perspective if we see that trials are purposeful. Now, when, I, when Peter and when I say purposeful, that is not he's going to give us a definitive answer about why we suffer the things that we do. He's not trying to explain everyone's unique trial and experience in life. In fact, the reality is that God's purposes for your life may not be revealed this week, or this month, or this year, or even in your lifetime. But... Although there is much that is unknown, there is some things that we can know. And Peter tells us here that trials are not random. They're not the result of impersonal forces like fate or chance. They're woven together by a good and loving and sovereign God who's working everything according to his will. He's brought trials as necessary," and Peter says, "As necessary, so that the, our faith might be tried and tested." God is working His plan out in our lives so that our faith might be tried and tested so that it might be proved genuine. Okay, So trials shouldn't surprise us. Trials shouldn't cast doubt in our minds over God's goodness towards us, over his sovereignty, over his power, or over his love for us. Peter here is telling us when we face trials, they are not pointless. They're purposeful. No pain in the life of a Christian is pointless or random or fate or chance. It's God at work using the trial, bringing the trial To refine us and reveal our faith. And we'll talk about those in just a second. Peter wants his readers to look beyond the hostility of man that they were facing, to look beyond their current circumstances, to look beyond the opposition that they were faced with, to see the unseen hand of God at work in their lives. The unseen hand of God that was working for their good and his glory that he, he wants them to see the unseen hand of God so that they would take their focus off their pain and put their focus on the purpose. And two-fold purpose, according to verse 7. To refine our faith and to reveal our faith. So trials are purposeful because Peter tells us they're going to refine our faith. Look with me again at verse 7. He's He's doing these things so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Peter likens what's going on to the process of refining gold. So when you mine gold, you dig it up wherever you find it, in South Africa or South America or on the west coast of of the US. When you find gold, you don't just... Parade around with a nugget of gold. You, you take the gold and you burn it. In, you put it in a fiery furnace. You heat it up. You, you put it in the hottest fire known to man. So that yeah. what happens when you heat the raw gold, if you like? It heats up. And all of the other stuff that was mixed in with the gold. The impurities. The other elements that were there. The dross that you don't want. It all gets burned away. And as you heat gold up and as these impurities and the dross gets burned away, what you're left with is a refined and a purer gold than when you began. And Peter says it's just like that with our faith. God brings fiery trials into our lives so that he can burn away the dross, burn away the impurities. Burn away the sin, burn away the idolatry, burn away the self-sufficiency, burn away the self-confidence, burn away the self-righteousness, so that what's left at the end is a purer, deeper, stronger, refined faith. A faith of better quality, a 24-carat faith in Jesus Christ. But notice, just like when you really heat gold up, The fire doesn't destroy the gold, it refines it. So God won't allow our faith to be reduced to ashes. He won't allow our faith to just be burned away completely and reduced to ashes. The fiery persecution and the trials that come into the life of the Christian won't destroy us. They'll just refine us. So when we're facing with trials, we can have hope. God's in this. He's not out to kill me. He's out to refine my faith in him and the fire uh, sorry the faith that trials produce peter tells us is more precious than gold infinitely more precious than 24 karat gold because it's enduring and eternal and it testifies to the glory of jesus christ so trials refine our faith but they also reveal our faith it is easy isn't it in in times of trial To just ask questions like, Has God left me? Am I abandoned in this? Has He forsaken me? am Am I really a Christian? Am I outside of His plans? Am I outside of His purposes? Has He withdrawn His love from me for some reason? But actually, Peter wants us to see it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. Suffering is not an obstacle, a bump in the road to knock us off course, to block our path to heaven. Suffering is not an obstacle, but a means of helping strengthen our faith so that we'll stand on the last day, so that our faith in Jesus Christ will be proven, genuine and revealed as true On the last days. As God heats us up in the fiery furnace of trials, and as he shapes us over the anvil of suffering, it's so that the genuineness of our faith might be proven. He's working so that our faith might be revealed as authentic, so that we might, so that our faith that we have in Jesus Christ would be the real deal. In fact, enduring trials is an important indicator of our sure and true status as children of God. He's refining us so that our faith might be revealed on the last day. So we go through these things now for a little while. And I'm not trying to minimize that or diminish anybody's grief or pain by just calling, oh, it's just a little while, isn't it? No, Peter says it's in a little while. Now, while you're going through it, while we're walking through things, it can feel like a lifetime. It can feel like forever. I know that. But in comparison to imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, what we face now, even if it lasted three score years and ten, it's just a little while in God's economy. And he tells us it's a little while so that we might have hope. There is an expiry date stamped on your trials. All right? Just like in the supermarket with fresh food, there's an expiry date and it says, you know, throw it out after this time. It's no good after this time. There's an expiry date on our trials for a little while. But in comparison to imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, it's nothing, is it? It's just a little while. He wants to give us hope. In the midst of the trials, they're purposeful. There is a day coming when our faith has been refined and it will finally be revealed. There's a day coming when we will see Jesus face to face and he will welcome us and embrace us and take us to be with him. And we will discover that our faith has not been misplaced. There is a day coming when we shall have no regrets about having stood for Christ and his truth in the face of ongoing hostility. There is a day coming when our faith shall be revealed and we shall obtain, he says in verse 9, the outcome of our faith. We shall, inherit the, we shall experience the salvation of ourselves. We shall inherit all that Christ has won for us and promised to us. Our faith is tried and tested now so that it would be strengthened and authenticated and refined so that it can be revealed on that day. And when it's revealed, it will be rewarded. The promises of God are ours. We will obtain the outcome of our faith. We'll experience the salvation of our souls. And when he speaks about souls here, he's not thinking about just that that immaterial part of your existence when he's, the word souls here, it speaks about the whole of you. Everything about you—your soul, your mind, your heart, your body—will be saved. Everything, it'll be complete. You'll be redeemed. Your faith will be revealed, and we will be rewarded. So Peter wants us to see: we don't have to fear the the fires. We don't have to let present grief or future pain, we shouldn't let them obscure our view of what God is doing. Okay, we divided up this passage because there's so much richness in it. Okay, so we've preached what? One, two, three messages through verses three through 12, at least by the time we get to next week. But we must never forget it's all one long Greek sentence we divided it up to squeeze the juice, but it's all one long sentence. We mustn't let present trials, present grief, present experiences obscure our view of what God is doing and has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's gloriously at work. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So trials are Painful. But trials are purposeful. And then there's a little bit of encouragement hidden in verse 8 for those of us who might be facing trials, whether general or specific persecution for our faith right now. In in verse 8, Peter draws their attention to and commends their current faith. Look with me. Because it could be spoken right to us as well. Though you do not now see Jesus. You believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter wants to take them to a place to see, listen, Trials are painful. Trials are purposeful. But right now, let me tell you, in the midst of your trials, you can have a sweet assurance because you're loving Jesus and believing in Jesus, even though it defies logic. Because you haven't seen him. But you love him and you believe in him. That's faith. That's faith. In the midst of suffering, while your faith is being tried and tested, where there are moments when we might be in suffering and we go, we go, I don't know whether I can carry on. I don't know whether I can face tomorrow. I don't know whether I can get out of bed. I don't know whether I will make it. Peter says, look at The evidences of grace in your life. Though you haven't seen Jesus with your physical eyes. That has been no disadvantage whatsoever for faith in him. And your faith in him is revealed in your love for him. Be encouraged. Words That would have been good news for them. Words that I hope are good news for us this morning. For who here has seen Jesus with their physical eyes? If you have, we'll have to talk afterwards. Who here has seen Jesus with their physical eyes? None of us. But who here love him and believe in him? Though we have not seen him. Peter wants us to be encouraged this morning. You know, Peter was a man, wasn't he, who had very, very vivid memories of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He had, spent time with Jesus. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus raise uh, widows, sons from the dead. He saw uh, the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah were with Jesus on the mountaintop. Peter had plenty of examples of his time with Jesus, but he did not consider these people's faith any less real or important than his? Because Peter would have heard these words from Jesus in Matthew 16. Remember this? in Matthew 16, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says to them, uh, hopefully this will come up on the screen, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but... Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but to my Father who is in heaven. These first audience and us this morning, if we have believed in Jesus and we say that he is Christ, the son of the living God, blessed are you, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but our father in heaven, we should be encouraged. Peter would have been there as well in John chapter 20 when doubting Thomas was up to his tricks. Remember that? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples for some reason. Thomas wasn't with them. And so he says, Well, I'm not going to believe this until I see it with my eyes. Remember that? This is what it goes like in John 20. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't with the disciples. And they told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. Then eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Another way of saying, blessed are you. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, all right, put your fingers here. See my hands. Put out your hands. Put it in my side. Don't disbelieve. But believe. Believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed were the first audience. Blessed were the Bristol audience because we have not seen. And yet we have believed trials are painful, trials are purposeful. But in the midst of the trials, we can have a sweet assurance. If you believe in Jesus and you have put your faith in him, though you have not seen him, you are blessed. God is at work. Our persecution, our trials, our suffering do not define us. What defines us is that we have loved God. Him and believed in him because flesh and blood has not revealed it to us, but our Father in heaven. And he's, we can love because he has first loved us. As we keep on loving, as we keep on believing in Jesus, even in trials, we can have assurance that God is at work making our faith authentic, trying and testing us, not dashing us into pieces on the ground. We're blessed. Blessed. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, the last of the Beatitudes. Perhaps this was going through Peter's mind as he wrote this, as he wrote this epistle. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be blessed. Glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you as we love and believe in the one that we haven't seen, as we follow and trust in the one who experienced the full fury of the fire of God's white hot wrath against sin that was against us and who by his very death has saved us from the fires of hell, even though we might pass through fiery trials. He's blessed us. He's with us. He's not abandoned us. In fact, he's guarding us, isn't he, through faith so that we might obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Joy and woe are intermingled in the Christian life, but we must remember we're safe in God's grace. We have a living hope. We have a guaranteed future inheritance. We are blessed all because of God's great mercy to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus. That trials are painful, yet trials are purposeful. Thank you that we can know we are not abandoned. We are not forsaken. We might be stricken. but we're not crushed. We might be confused, but we're not without hope. Thank you that we have confidence this morning because we know Jesus has risen from the dead. May you strengthen our faith, I pray. In the face of trials in general, And potential persecution in particular. So that we might stand anchored by our hope in the living God. And the living hope that you have promised us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing together to reaffirm these truths into our hearts by singing, He will hold me fast.